Well, Psalm 17, beginning in verse 10. Hear now the very word of God written for you and for me today. They have closed up their fat hearts. With their mouths they speak proudly. They have now surrounded us in our steps. They have set their eyes crouching down to the earth. As a lion is eager to tear his prey, and like a young lion lurking in secret places. Arise, O Lord, confront him, cast him down. Deliver my life from the wicked with your sword. With your hand from men, O Lord, from men of the world who have their portion in this life and whose belly you fill with your hidden treasure. They are satisfied with children and leave the rest of their possession for their babes. As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. Amen. Thus thus far the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word to us. Well, people of God, the living God is the God who delivers his people in time and saves us for all eternity. He is the God who hears and responds to the prayers of his people. He is the covenant Lord who is so wonderfully and perfectly faithful in keeping his promises and engaging with his people for our well-being and protection, that for this reason, among others, we continue to call upon him and we continue to come to him. And this is to continue as long as we live. David believed this, and he lived it out, as seen in his love for his Lord. He encourages and calls us to do the same. For God inclines his ear to you and me. Jesus' hearing our prayers must deepen our love for him. Jesus' listening to us must also keep our mouths open in calling upon him. And further, David expressed his desire that God show his marvelous loving kindness in a different way, through his power. The love of the Almighty is beautifully seen through his work of deliverance. And like David, God, in accordance with his will, delivers those who trust him in time from their enemies. This is a great display of love. Even greater is the salvation that God grants his people from our sins and from his eternal wrath. And so knowing the loving kindness of God towards him, it was good and right for David to both remember how special he was in God's eyes, for he indeed was the apple of God's eye, and petition God to keep him as such. He rightly desired God's divine protection and guarding of him, just like a a sensitive pupil. He rightly desired to be covered by the Lord's wings. He desired to be encompassed by God's protection, especially as his enemies encompassed him. And so now David goes on to describe and further petition the Lord regarding these men whose portion is this life. Let's look at these verses under three headings tonight. 
and will do so considering his words about the proud lions in verses 10 through 12, his plea for deliverance in verses 13 through 14, as well as sight and satisfaction in verse 15. So as he begins here in verse 10, he says, they have closed up their fat hearts. With their mouths, they speak proudly. Now, as we consider these words, our thoughts should be taken back to verse 3. Look there. As we see David exposing a sharp contrast between the hearts and the mouths of the righteous and those of the wicked. And as we look back at verse 3, what do we know was true of David's heart? It was opened to God for examination. It was tested, and God pronounced David as not guilty of the charges laid against him. And what was true of his mouth? It was restrained and not engaged in slander against Saul and his enemies. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And David had a clear conscience in both his heart and his mouth. And yet we find quite the opposite in the wicked, don't we? David said, they've closed up their fat hearts. Now, the the Hebrew carries with it the idea of being wrapped in fat, which puts forth a picture of callousness and insensitivity. This then bears the fruit that comes out of their mouths, pride. And so we find the connection with fat hearts and pride, not just here, but also in Psalm 119, verse 70. We read there, The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep your precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in your law. Hear those descriptive words. Those comments and charges and descriptions that David describes about his enemy. They forged a lie, but he keeps his precepts wholeheartedly. Their heart is as fat as grease. Man, what a picture that is. But I delight in your law. Fat hearts, greasy hearts, do not delight in God's law. But also consider the words of our Lord to Isaiah regarding fat-heartedness and dullness in Isaiah 6, verses 9 and 10. And he said, Go and tell this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. Beloved, see the problem with having a fat heart and a prideful mouth. Like fat chokes the heart, so the puffing of pride chokes men and women, making them dull deceivers. They wrap themselves in their own power and prosperity. 
and make light of God and His judgments. They glory in themselves and they they blaspheme God and walk all over His people. But they can't see, they can't hear, and they can't understand the things of God or what's true about His people as we know elsewhere in Scripture. Why? Because these things are spiritually discerned. They can't discern good and evil and walk in righteousness. And therefore, as David's proud enemies pursued to trample him, he tells God more that supports his plea in verse 11. Look there. They have now surrounded us in our steps. They have set their eyes crouching down to the earth. Here we find a a good example of what David describes in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 23, beginning in verse 24. There we read, So they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, and in the plain on the south of Jessamon. Then Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David. Therefore, he went down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Ma'an. And when Saul heard that, he pursued David in the wilderness of Ma'an. And then Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And so David made haste to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were encircling David and his men to take them. Hear all of this. Moves and counter moves. Pursuit. Escape. Saul was very strategic in his pursuit even as he and his men were very watchful of David and his moves. Did you see that in those verses? In many ways, they were outwitting him, crouching down low to conceal themselves and and gain the element of surprise. David describes Saul as a lion, as he was especially bloodthirsty and ruthless. Look at verse 12. Of Psalm 17. As a lion is eager to tear his prey, and like a young lion lurking in secret places. And see here another contrast between good and evil. In this psalm, David has been consistent as a son of God in communicating his desire to do and speak what is good in the face of persecution. This is sharply contrasted with the wicked eagerness of Saul to tear and destroy. But further, know that this lion metaphor was particularly applicable to Saul as he sought to kill David on the rocks of the wild goats we see in 1 Samuel 24, verses 1 and 2, as well as the wilderness of Ziph in Psalm 26, verse 2. And even we see that in that reference in 1 Samuel 24 as well. 
But in all of these locations, these were places that lions lurked and hunted their prey. And so, considering his situation, David called out to the God who is strong to deliver, to the God who covers and keeps. David prayed, saying in verse 13, Arise, O Lord, confront him, cast him down, deliver my life from the wicked with your sword. Beloved, David desired that God would use the sovereign power that he had over them to control and restrain them. His desire was for God to rise up for him and to take the battle to Saul. Interestingly, the the Hebrew word for confront him, it literally means prevent his face. Prevent his face. David wanted God to confront Saul and prevent him from executing his plans against David. Stop him in his tracks, Lord. Cast him down. Stop his rage. Give the first and make a fatal blow with your sword. And what is the sword that he refers to? It's God's power with his hand in judgment. Look at 14a. With your hand from men, O Lord, from men of the world who have their portion in this life. Men of this world and their portion, beloved, in other words, is talking about what they focus on, what they enjoy and desire to be filled with. And all of that is, it's very clear. They are concerned with earthly things. Contrary to what the Apostle John exhorts believers to not do in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, men and women of the world love the world and the things of it. The good things of this world are the best things in their mind. They are the things that make them happy. And though that happiness is short-lived, They keep coming back for more over and over again. And yet they are never fully satisfied. In Psalm 73, beginning in verse 5, we read this. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment Their eyes bulge with abundance. They have more than heart could wish. They have scoff. They scoff and and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore, his people return here and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. What do you hear in these verses, children? What do you see 
as this picture is painted. It's this grotesque, bulging, growing, just monstrous person, full of all sorts of evil and wickedness, for pride is their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. If you can imagine a a robe or a jacket, it's just, it's covering them, it's enwrapping them, it's engulfing them. It identifies what's in their heart and their desires. They have such abundance that it's just pushing out from behind their eyes. Their eyes are bulging. They have more than the heart could wish, right? Hmm. But these are the ungodly. In James chapter 5, verse 5, we read there, You have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. This is their portion. Their God-given portion, notice. Look back at Psalm 17, verse 14b, the second half of 14. He says, And whose belly you fill with your hidden treasure. They are satisfied with children and, and leave the rest of their possession for their babes. Notice the work of the sovereign God here. You may not expect it. He fills their bellies, but not their souls. God gives them the choicest things or treasures this world can offer, but not of the rich blessings and abundant grace found in Christ in the next. David calls the treasures hidden because though it's true that the earth is the Lord's and its fullness, men of the world think it is theirs and forget all about or even deny God's ownership of it. When they die, they leave their earthly toys and, and much that they were filled with to their kids and their grandchildren. But what legacy is that? It is no heritage. It is no godly heritage. For they are leaving the things and the interests and the desires of the world and passing those on to their kids. And their kids, apart from the grace and intervention of God, will be just like them. But notice that none of it would satisfy them either. In the midst of all of the assaults and the affliction, though, notice what would be true and what would be of great comfort to David? What would be of supreme and glorious comfort to David? Look at verse 15. As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. This is a verse to memorize, beloved. To ponder, to meditate on. See two things here. Sight and satisfaction. Sight and satisfaction. Both of these point us 
to the glorious wonders of Christ and the resurrection. David, by faith, had peace in the midst of pain and distress, in the midst of being encompassed about and seeing his doom to be soon and sure, in many regards, apart from the intervention of God. In the midst of the pain and distress, as he considered the promised resurrection to come, he had peace. Though the wicked enjoy their rewards in this life, beloved, torment is ahead of them. Yet David had great anticipation for for the time when he would stand face to face with the Almighty, with his Lord and Savior, covered in his Savior's righteousness. He would have clear and perfect sight of his beloved. And that gave him peace and joy. David knew that he would be fully satisfied standing before Christ in his likeness. Oh, how we long for that too, don't we, beloved? How we should, how we must. We hear in these psalms, we see these wonderful windows in these psalms of of the struggles of David, and yet his trust and his faith in the Lord and his crying out to the Lord and his pleas to the Lord and the Lord hearing him and the Lord protecting him and the Lord blessing him. But we also see this glorious picture of true peace in the Savior that calms the fears and the angst and the frustrations of the here and now. In 1 John 3, 2, we read this, and this supports what David has just said. John says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. The time when we are fully conformed to the image of Christ. The time when we see him as he is. That time that we long for. It's coming. And David knew it. Praise the Lord that we know it. Remember David's words in Psalm 16, verse 11. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And further, John teaches us in the very last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22. Consider these words in verses 3 through 5. Regarding the river of life. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp or light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Mm. 
Such rich promises, such rich truth in these windows of what is to come. Of the people of God in the presence of God. The people of God in the presence of their Savior. Ruling and reigning with Him for all eternity. This gives us peace now. For we know what's ahead. The riches of the worldly stay here. But the blessings of the inheritance of Christ to his people are forever. Beloved, can you relate to David in this psalm? I think you can. Your daily walk as a Christian is full of taking steps, even calculated steps, as you seek to walk in obedience to God. And yet it doesn't matter where you go or what turns you make, Satan and his minions, even working through prideful men and women, are right there, all around, crouched and ready to pounce. And yet when the thought of I'm done for, there, there is no hope, crosses your mind. It must be countered and dismissed by the secure hope and comfort that you have in Christ, like David, in the promised resurrection that will be true then. Clear sight of your Savior, clear sight of your God, and full satisfaction in his presence. Sight and satisfaction. I'll leave you with this. Many of you know, maybe even have memorized the first part of the Heidelberg Catechism, question one, but let's read it and consider it in its fullness. It speaks much to this. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all of my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. And therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. That truly is our comfort. Because our comfort is Christ. Hmm. Again, what we look forward to then must affect how we live now. Amen. Praise God for his word. Let's pray together. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, how blessed and wonderful it is to know that in the midst of our distress, in our trials, our persecutions, sight and satisfaction are ahead. And oh, how that comforts us now, how it brings tears to our eyes and joy to our hearts, and oh, we praise you for it. We pray, oh God, that such truth would not escape our hearts and our minds, even in the hardest of times. that we would walk as people of the light, people of the King, who look different and act different and the world is shocked at. 
considering our circumstances. But it's all because of you. The great peace that you give us in the midst of pain, in and through Jesus Christ. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.